Hey listeners, it's Kai. In this series, A Comrade's Journal, I talk about how I went through a really terrible breakup. We've all been there, hearts broken, we try to fall in love, and sometimes it just doesn't pan out. But this one was really bad, and I decided if I'm ever going to get back on my feet, I need to make a plan to get out of this break. Here's the thing, I, didn't, I had no idea how quickly I'd be able to get over her. And that's not to say anything about how bad she was to me, or how bad I was for her, but... I was so relieved that in just a few episodes, I finished. But I realized this is not enough for a full series. So quickly, that series morphed into a mental health awareness podcast. Because this was all about me trying to improve my positive mental attitude, my PMA. So hopefully you guys listening to this can get just as much out of it as I got recording it. Because though it started out talking about just how terrible of a place I was in, it ended hoping everybody can get out of a terrible place that they're in, no matter where in life they are. Hey, welcome. Uh, thank you for picking up a call, a comrade's journal. Sorry, I almost said a college comrade. The The reason I said that is because I'm a member of the College Comrades podcast, uh, but I'm recording right now the first ever episode of a comrade's journal. And that's me. I'm Kai, one of the three main members, one of the founders of the show, actually. And um, this is quite literally just a journal i actually hold on i have my actual journal here in my bedroom i'm recording in my bedroom uh not very professional but you know journals are supposed to be personal so i figure if i'm gonna be doing something real if i'm gonna be doing something honest with you guys and honest with myself then i want to be doing it just here in my room where where i don't have to think that i might ever publish this where i don't have to think that you know, other people are going to hear me because it's just within these four walls. It's just me and my thoughts right now. So uh, I haven't picked up my journal in five, four months, I believe. I have it dated, but I'm not going to read through it right now just because that would be boring for you guys to listen to, of course, me reading the date. Maybe I'll read actual sections later. But anyways, I think it would be just as therapeutic to speak out what I have in my journal in my head on my inner in my inner dialogue than just as therapeutic as writing it so that's a large part of what this is today I don't want to be uh okay well I do want you guys to know that it's okay to have you know deep feelings it's okay to be like really upset really sad and and that's a big part of why I'm doing this, but but I'm really also doing this for myself, like because this has been I'll get <laughs> I'll get uh, more into it later, but this has been a pretty difficult pretty difficult month for me, and I and I just I need an outlet. I need to start something new that's it's not something that's not avoiding the problem that I just am not having a good time in life. And that's and yesterday I felt like I was doing great, but then today it just hit me again like a train. So, uh, I would I thought first about doing this kind of solo monologue, uh, when I was in, actually it was maybe two months ago, two or three months ago when, there when Andre said he was leaving the college comrades, and we thought about 
Like, are we just going to stop the podcast? Are we going to start something new? So, and because of that, I thought, you know, I really need to just write. Well, it was back then I thought, okay, well, if Noah says he doesn't want to do the podcast anymore, I'm just going to start my own thing and call it um, (laughs) the monologues of a comrade or something like that. Like, it, it wasn't very... Uh, not a very good title of course but it was going to be a very similar thing where i would just like you know have real talks think about something like maybe maybe something going on globally something just personal in my life and just talk about it because the college comrades has been a really good outlet for me to express my voice express my opinions and and all that stuff so that's a lot of what that was back then uh so the college comrades we're have we have episodes that range from like forty five minutes, maybe is our smallest, to almost two hours. I think is our longest episode. I am not going to be sitting in front of my mic talking for that long. I my target is like ten to fifteen minutes. It it really depends on what I have to say because I have on one half of my screen my recording software and on the other half of my screen my notepad. It, it it's it's got like. 10 bullets that's my whole outline for this is 10 bullets i don't know how long it'll take but i'm already like halfway through it so um okay before i actually get into the the meat and bones about why i'm like struggling in life i want to talk about i want to apologize actually because i'm gonna in in the college comrades i do a lot of censorship right like i i personally don't try to like curse on the show i don't want to um mention anyone's names if they haven't given me permission to be on the podcast but for this one i'm definitely going to be more of a moody bitch so i'm not like this is literally just therapy for me i don't know if i'm gonna be going and presenting this to other people i have no current plans of putting this online though i fully expect to one day when i have more episodes when I when I can put more out there but that's because that kind of idea that I might do it someday gives me the comfortability to record the honest thoughts I have that you guys really want to hear okay uh that being said I said I wouldn't be censoring names so this is a quick apology well I, I was listening to um too much to say by Kaylee with Kaylee Moore Shore today, Kaylee Shore, and I, I realized well she her first episode is the last apology where she wants to just apologize to everyone for everything she's gonna say. I want to do a similar thing because I'm gonna be saying names, I'm gonna be saying things that they've done to hurt me, but I'm also gonna be saying things that they've done to bless me. So, like I am sorry for not censoring any of this, but I really need it for me. I'm sure these people will understand. Uh, without further ado, let's talk about why today just wasn't great. The I um let's see. Starting on April fourth, two thousand twenty. I know that date because it was four four twenty twenty. Pretty pretty significant. But on April fourth, I started dating, he- and she and I had a very nice relationship, you know, it was, it was long distance for the majority of it, but for the first month, uh, she lived in a neighboring town of mine, so I was able to visit on the weekends, uh, and then she moved six hours away, and I, we had a long distance relationship from there, 
now fast forward when we started like like around our four four months into the relationship we got in a pretty big fight i'm not really going to talk about the details of it but she was talking about um some things that were very personal to her and i didn't respond super amazingly i didn't respond like a gentleman like i should have but she um obviously we both offended each other as as happens in fights i mean what do you expect but i suspect that as being a large reason why it was one month later when we were about five months into the relationship she said look i don't have feelings for you anymore and i'm thinking okay <laughs> like in the moment i'm thinking i love her i don't want to hurt her like i want her to be like if her ultimate happiness is apart from me then i want her to pursue her happiness and man is was that a difficult conversation to have where she is like struggling with all of these thoughts she she doesn't like she doesn't want to hurt me she doesn't want to make a decision she's going to regret and and i'm i've done a lot of experience with heart change or um a i've done i i've helped people a lot like go through tough decisions tough burdens tough emotions so i'm i can help walk her through making the best decision for her and of course that means she's gonna break up with me which man i did not go into that conversation expecting even for the first half of the conversation i was like oh yeah it's no biggie i'm just helping her through it then i'm like wait a second she's gonna break up with me tonight isn't she over the over text <laughs> and that's exactly what happened one one thing i just hated about that relationship is that every time we started to get into a fight or an intense discussion i would be like hey i want to call you because i can't like cuz just saying the words over text does not convey the emotion i'm saying with them and every time i would call she would she would hit decline and and she would like leave her phone for like an hour so i'd be stuck there trying to talk trying to do something and i'm not able to tell her how i'm really feeling the way i'm feeling it i'm not able to express who i am oh my goodness but so that, was re- that was really difficult for me and i mentioned it once or twice like hey that's very that's hard for me like when because i have such i have str- i have i have stronger emotions than she does and she knows that but and I'm sure I'm going to talk more about why that was a, a difficult relationship in general for me. That was one reason is because th- for the fights, she would always retreat and she would always um, pull herself back, pull herself away. I wasn't able to fully connect. I wasn't able to express myself. It'd be different if we were fighting in person, but for a long distance relationship, it, it, I don't know. It, it wasn't working, but even when she moved back, the fights just weren't quite where they should have been. I I would do my best because, as I I said, I've been in a lot of intense emotional situations, so I'm able to express exactly what I want to express and and do my best to help other people do the same. I want to provide safe environments for that, but I don't know. I, I didn't feel like she was enabling me to help both of us through our discussions through our fights so that was just something that really weighed on me throughout the whole relationship 
<sighs> and of course, she she broke up saying like, yeah, we should stay friends, <laughs> right? And and she had said earlier in the relationship, you know, if we break up one day, I bet we'll still stay friends. That was a punch to the face. <laughs> like and anyone should know the moment they say, "Oh yeah, we can we can still stay friends after this relationship." It's like they are not in this for the long haul like I am. Man, that was so difficult to hear. And she doesn't understand why, but anyways. Um Where was I? Oh yeah, she said we wanted to stay friends after she broke up. And like again, me loving her at the time said like, "Yeah, we can stay friends because that means happiness for you. And like after a few days, after experiencing the living hell of of her texting me every day about, you know, same old, same old stuff where it felt like our relationship hadn't changed at all. The only difference is now she doesn't have feelings for me and we both know that and we're broken up. I'm, <laughs> uh, Malia told me like, Kai, she is getting everything she got out of the relationship still. And you're getting none of it. Like, you need to take some time for you. So, it's been, I don't know, two, it's been three weeks that I ha- that I told her, look, I can't text you anymore. Like, I am losing my mind. If I'm actually going to be your friend, I need time away from you to get over you. Um, and it took me three weeks, apparently, to realize that I should start recording myself my journal stuff and you know now I can listen back to it now I can I can let other people know both what I'm going through let them know they're not alone I know that this isn't you know the most painful thing ever but but it is pain and we all experience pain and I can I can tell you it is man waking up today it was just headphones on angsty teen music I'm not a teenager but but I'm just playing the 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 sad lo-fi stuff and just getting through the day as I can. I mean, I did, you know, classic, not wanting to get out of bed, classic, like, do I really want to eat food? I mean, am I really thirsty? I just want to work. I just want to clog up my mind with all this stuff. And then I get to the room and I realize, yeah, I should start recording. And I really appreciate you guys listening to me, listening to A Comrade's Journal. Uh, I'm going to pitch the idea to Andre and to Noah. I mean, sorry, to Dallas and to Noah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, and we'll see, they're at the College Comrades, and we'll see if this is going to be my own thing or if it's going to be part of the LLC. So you know how whenever someone says, oh, hey, how are you? You know, shakes your hand. Like, how are you doing? You, the only allowed response is, oh, I'm, do- I'm doing good. How are you? Well, hello, Journal. My name is Kai McIntosh, and I'm having a shitty day. So I figured something out recently. I believe that the quality of my bedroom, like the cleanliness of my bedroom, directly correlates to my mental health. And I found that out, like, not by deciding, oh, you know, I'm having a bad day, I'm not going to clean. There was no distinct, you know, thing that set that apart. But rather, just the worse things are feeling, the dirtier my room is. And when, like, when I was dating, uh, oh, okay, actually, before I say her name again, I've decided that she has such a unique, such a distinct name that I'm just going to call her Sarah because saying her name would be, you know, too much like this is, I mean, too much exposing her to the public eye and she doesn't deserve that. But 
you know, saying Sarah is like, if her name was Sarah, I would have no problem with it because there are so many Sarahs. Anyway, so, because when I was dating Sarah, man, my room was clean. Like, like things were good. My, my car was clean. My room was clean. No problems going on. Dude, everything was great. But, but now, and, and a little bit before, sometimes during, like if we, like if Sarah and I had a significant fight, then. Then I could tell, like, I didn't pick up after myself that night or whatever. But but I also, like, especially now, my room has been dirtier than it is. But that doesn't negate the fact that, like, it's really messy in here. And I think, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn a little bit to get a better view. I think some of the reason that I look at this and I don't feel the urge to clean it up is because I see it and I think, you know... This is a lot cleaner than what's going on in my mind right now. My mind is just so muddled and and dirty with all these crazy thoughts like just a, just about the breakup, about everything. The the breakup has affected the way I'm thinking because I cannot I said in the intro to this episode that wow, today is a shitty day. And not because like not because anything happened nothing happened <laughs> it and and the way i view anything that happens or doesn't happen now is through this lens of oh my goodness i'm so alone i'm i it feels like i've been wasting the last 5 months of my life because i i want to love my wife like i love like jesus loves the church and i don't have someone to give the the passion that Jesus has given me for to there's no one there for me to love and so me dating Sarah was a way to try to determine okay is this who I'm supposed to be with like is this the person God put me here to love like Christ loves the church and no so I spent I spent a good five months with the wrong person <laughs> and and uh, my room, so back to my room, I used to keep memories of us all over this room. Like like right here on the wall next to me is where I kept um, this thumbtack that isn't holding nothing at the moment. It used to hold her senior photos um, up over here above my mirror. This thumbtack used to hold a bracelet that she made me on our second date where she met my parents at a Taco Bell. The bracelet was made out of straw wrappers. This actually, this sticky note here has, it's kind of silly, but it has uh, coordinates for my home uh, that I made in Minecraft d dedicated to both of us. So I'm going to throw this one away, but I don't need, I don't, I don't, I don't play that world anymore. I'll tell you what. Um, yes, so I've really just been facing the crippling weight of nothing. I wake up, I go to work, I get home, I do nothing. And then I feel like I've done nothing at work either. And I, I come to this room, I could clean it, but it, I probably just feel nothing after cleaning it. I find the bottle of this glass here after I pour something into it and I still I feel nothing becoming numb doesn't 
it's there there's no sedative that would change how I'm feeling. There's no like material effect that could change what's going on in me because I just keep trying to think what if this was my last shot like what maybe that was the person who I was supposed to love like Christ loved the church and maybe I did it wrong I know that's not true and I was just thinking about recording this episode and a random idea popped into my head what if like how how can I still like I was I was just carrying a chair to my room not this anyways and and the thought I had was how on earth am I supposed to like treat act right now to glorify my wife how can i do what i'm doing right now to help her and then then i realized well duh jesus loved the church even when he didn't quote unquote know the church be because he was preparing himself to meet the church that's what he was doing pretty much his whole life and and that really put a perspective in me that like i should do my best to get over Sarah. I need I need to move forward in life. I need to, I can't just I can't just do nothing. Cuz that's all I'm feeling is all I feel is nothing. Uh, over over there on my bed is a gift that her father gave me. I don't know what to do with it. I mean, it's it's a projector, so like I could use it obviously, but I don't know. Something feels wrong about it. She, this was such, it was such a difficult relationship on my side. I'll be completely honest. (laughs) But, but one reason that never came out, one reason I never mentioned that to her is because I, I think, I believe that some of the most rewarding end results can be through the hardest journeys. And I I love, I have facial hair right now. I love this beard. And she really did not like this beard. <laughs> but I was so willing to challenge myself to be a different person for her. Not, not, not a different person. Cause I don't, I don't need to change to meet her standards. Like she, by no means was she forcing or even saying that I should cut off my beard for her. But I wanted to challenge myself both so that I can show that I'm willing to be uncomfortable for other people. I'm willing to, like, if it means blessing someone else just by doing something different on my own, that is so worth it for me. Like, I will abs- I will take that bet 100 times, whether, whether or not I'm dating that person. <laughs> I will always try to bend toward other people's happiness because that is so satisfying. It's so rewarding to do that. Uh, I, I have little else to say regarding Sarah, uh, today. (laughs) Don't believe me, there will be, there will be more coming later. Uh, but well, I mean, so like it, it all comes back to this emptiness, to this nothingness, to this ravishing apathy that seems to cloak my mind because I was simply driving down the road today just gonna go grocery shopping and and though though when i'm interacting with the clerks at the store or the cashiers or whatever like i'm super happy you know i'm really energetic i I want i want them to enjoy their day at work because of me the 
it, that doesn't change the fact that I'm the moment they're gone, I still pull the headphone back over my ear and I still dive into the music rather than the world because I just, just being in this place alone is so difficult for me right now. When, when I drove to a stoplight, I'm thinking, you know, I'd be cool if I just closed my eyes right now. If it turns green, someone honks at me, eh, you know, whatever. I don't care. They're not going to be as mad at me as I am. They're not going to be me making as much noise as all the arguing I'm doing with myself is. And all of this arguing is subconscious, which is why it's so difficult to, not all of it, most of it, is why it's so difficult to to stop. Is because I can't, I'm not controlling it. It'll be it'll be my sleeping. I'll I'll have dreams or rather nightmares where I'm still with Sarah, or and I'll, I'll wake up and and roll over and check the timer and realize I I have to be at work in thirty minutes and then then I'll fall asleep for fifteen and it it it's it, it's whatever it doesn't matter if I'm late who who cares it, it, that means I can just get a new job if I get fired I'm not gonna get fired I'm not super late to work but that's that's where I'm at right now thank you guys for coming to episode 2 of a comrade's journal uh, really hope <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to I don't, I don't know what I'm hoping for you but I hope you guys know that you're not alone in in deep negative feelings I hope you know like it's, a, it's okay to feel what you feel but that no one wants you to get stuck in those feelings because I'm not here trying to be stuck in my feelings. I'm here trying to move past them. And I want to help you move past yours. That's that's the main reason I want to share with you guys. So, Sometimes we go through our day thinking everything is fine. And it isn't until the sun goes down that we realize just how tough everything has been on us lately. Hello Journal, I'm Kai McIntosh. And today I'm telling you why I'm just a f***ing idiot. Today is Susie's birthday. Last week I said Sarah, today I'm saying Susie. Today is Susie's birthday. And it has been one month, give or take, since, actually pretty much exactly one month, that I've been single. And it's, and as you could tell by the intro, that I have, I've, I went through most of today thinking, dude, everything's fine. Like, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, you know? (laughs) Things have been looking up recently. Uh, it's not looking up. I'm just really good at distracting myself. Uh, and now that, you know, nighttime has come, uh, I'm reading off my notepad, which, by the way, I wrote these notes at 3.30 in the morning one night. It's it's pretty much midnight now, but, but the night I wrote them at 3.30, I didn't sleep at all that night. I it was I spent a consecutive 20 30 actually about 30 hours 36 hours awake uh before I actually went to bed and the reason is a little strange it's it's because I find that all the time well not all the time many times when I'm going to bed when I sleep I keep having dreams that I'm in a relationship and it is just torture to wake up and remember, oh wait, no I'm not. I'm not in a relationship. That's a fabrication. Uh, so it is, it's just been less painful to not go to bed. So I've been like sleeping less, trying to 
only trying to sleep amounts that won't really get me dreaming or maybe not even sleep at all like that one night it's actually not that bad i mean i never realized how how good i've been uh, at staying awake uh yeah and and the the reason i've poured myself another drink is both because I'm a heavyweight and my genetics from my Irish and Scottish family make it so that uh, if if I want to sleep well tonight, if I, I'm kind of encouraging myself to sleep, you know, maybe that'll help. It's I haven't taken too much. I'm, I'm being safe. Don't worry about me. But I really just came here to kind of talk about why all the torment I'm in is really just my fault. And everything that's happening to me is kind of brought on by myself. Uh, so let's see, Susie, I'm not Susie's first, I wasn't, golly, I'm gonna have to get used to that, I wasn't Susie's first boyfriend, the other people she's been interested in, other people she's dated, uh, she dated them for a little bit, and then after a certain amount of time, she realized, okay, well, I don't really have feelings for them anymore, and I don't really want to lead them on, so she let them know that, and, and, and broke it off with them, and I knew that, right, like, Having dated her for four and a half months, I would know Susie's past relationships. You would think I wouldn't just go blindly into it and not see that pattern, not see it kind of developing, not hoping it just wouldn't really come up. But no, yeah, I went in, you know, blindfold on, hands behind my back, taking step by step, thinking about what the road ahead holds, even though I can't see it. And I cannot believe how ahead of myself I let myself get. I made the most ambitious plans with her. I, she, and you know what's funny? She even told me what kind of engagement ring she loved. I cannot believe that. I was so, like, I'm not the only one here who's an idiot, right? I didn't just pick up signals that weren't there. She legitimately told me, hey, look, I want you to watch this movie. I love the engagement ring in that movie. And then she said, hey, I want you to watch this scene from this show. I love this proposal in this show. I refuse to believe. It's just my fault. You know what? I came into this episode thinking it is, it is okay, and the majority of it is my fault. I definitely could have done things better. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm actually not so as crazy as I thought I given that I had seen the signs I saw everything that was coming up like in the last few weeks sure I knew but up until that point I should have let myself dream I did let myself dream and I actually don't regret that now because thinking about it talking it out to my journal writing it all down wow that's not it makes a lot of sense everything that I did I didn't do anything wrong at all actually in that Man, I feel so much better, actually. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go through the rest of my notes. I just had a crazy revelation because up until this moment, I had been thinking, like, how dumb it was that I had made all these plans to, like, show her my hometown, right? Because when, when she moved back to college, I would be able to visit her, and then I could I could show her, like, all the places where I grew up, let her meet some of my family, meet my friends. Like, that's completely reasonable considering everything I had been told, everything that had been le- led, that I had, in the ways I had been led on. Wow. <laughs> but yeah, I had, 
wow, 10 minutes ago, I had felt so terrible. So like, I can't believe I've done this to myself. And I don't blame her at all, because she certainly had those feelings. But it's just not my fault for believing everything I've been told. Trusting is never a a bad attribute. I had I had no reason not to trust her. JFK said, trust but verify. And, of course, I wasn't like, oh, I'm so ready to get proposed. And, and neither was she. Nowhere near that, I mean, please. But, man... I really appreciate you guys for for, for walking, helping walk me through this. It's, and but but the interesting thing is, yes, like our feelings had just you know fizzled out, and it it's been hurting me a lot. But and oh by the way, I promise, not all of these episodes are gonna just be about me and Susie. <laughs> I I'm telling you, it's I know the first few are kind of seeming repetitive, but don't worry, it's. I have I have more problems to move on to than just this. <laughs> um, but now that I'm looking back on it, the breakup would have been so much easier if she had just, like, gone out and kissed some other guy and quote-unquote cheated on me. Like, that way, all the pain that I had gone through, have been going through, would have been mainly her cause rather than mainly, I don't want to say mainly my cause, because I felt victimized the whole relationship just for the sake of having feelings. Like, it felt like anytime I had feelings, she didn't. Or, or like, my emotions would, like, I'd get hurt by something, and she would generally be a not very emotional person, and it felt like my feelings had always led our relationship to a place where it's like I need you to ask forgiveness because that really hurt me and then she wasn't there or like she she had no idea how to act with me because her feelings just like didn't really like she didn't she wasn't used to being offended like she didn't have that kind of place I suppose so I don't really know why it is but my feelings, or having feelings, rather, I just, I always felt so ostracized, almost, from from the relationship. It was weird, because starting out, I mean, you know how it is, we, there's all the, the honeymoon, quote-unquote, feelings, the, the wow, I'm so glad I'm in a relationship kind of thing, and I'm, I never really felt that. It, it was never for me like, oh, I'm so happy to be in a relationship. It was, it was rather like, I just I didn't have that the the burning fiery passion to just just keep making out with her no matter what happened and and now I'm wondering whether or not that's all she felt because I really wanted to have this more intense like hey I'm not dating you just because I want to have fun like that's like sure that's a good byproduct I suppose but I don't think that's a good enough cause in and of itself just to do something. Like, I'm dating you because I want to have kids in the future. I'm dating you because I want to get married to someone who wants to get married to me. And if you don't fulfill that role, if you're not in the same place, like, if, you, if, you're, if you're dating me to have fun, I don't think I want to be part of this. And, and she definitely recognized that, and she wanted it to be a serious relationship, too, as far as she said to me. And, and But I'm wondering if that's how it was in theory or if that's how it was for her in practice as well, like whether like in our relationship, because I was always so, like, 
thinking ahead. Think like I I dated one girl named Amy for six months, and when she and I broke up, I spent the next three years getting over her and preparing myself for when I might meet the next woman who could be the girl, right? And obviously it wasn't Susie, but in the end, I'm grateful to have another red flag I can be on the lookout for to know whether or not she's actually in it for the end goal. Because looking back, I'm thinking I was really just there to fulfill like a temporary empty hole that she didn't really ever think or want me for like the future. And, and it's it's unfair of me to say that, but that's just, that's where my heart's at. That's what I'm experiencing and feeling. <sighs> wow. Okay. When I started this series with my journal, I thought I would take at least six to eight episodes uh, in getting over Susie. But now that I'm here, I've realized that it really, well, of course there's, sure, I didn't do anything wrong, which is where I'm at now. I'm finally at the point where it's like, I treated myself fairly and I treated her fairly, but now it's me getting over her treating me not fairly and trying to work through forgiveness for all of that, that she's um, not exactly done to me or put me through. Cause I mean, she was acting in her own best interest and I can't say no to that. And I'd rather she breaks up with me earlier rather than later, but the leading me on and the kind of, I don't know. All the drama, I suppose. It was a strangely dramatic relationship. And I've been in I've been in more dramatic relationships, but but all things considered, like that should not have been as difficult as it Kai, I have been holding your rope for too long, and since you are unwilling to help yourself, I must let go of you. So the story I'm about to read you all I by no means take credit for, but I must read it to you because it really explains where I'm at today. All right. There was a man who had given much thought to what he wanted from life. He had experienced many woods and trials. He'd experimented with different ways of living, and he'd had his share of both successes and failures. At least he began to see clearly which way he wanted to go. Diligently, he searched for the right opportunity. Sometimes he came close, only to be pushed away. Often he applied all his strength and imagination, only to find the path hopelessly blocked. And then it came at last. The opportunity was there. But it would not wait. It would be made available for only a short time. And if it was found that he was wanting, or if he hesitated, the opportunity would not come again. Eager to arrive, he started on his journey. With each step, he wanted to move faster. With each thought toward his goal, his heart beat quicker with the visions of what lay ahead. He found renewed vigor. Strength that had left him since his early days returned. Since the early days of youth, desires, all kinds of desires and passions, reawakened from their long dormant positions. Hurrying along, he came upon a bridge that crossed high through a stream overlooking a town. It had been built high above the river to protect it from the floods of spring. He started across the bridge. Then he noticed that someone was coming towards him from the opposite direction. As they moved closer, it seemed as though the other was coming to greet him, but he could see clearly that he did not know this other. 
This other was dressed similar to him, except that he seemed to have something tied around his waist. When they were within hailing distance, he could see what the other had around his waist was a rope curled many times, and if it was extended to its full length, it would reach the length of perhaps 30 feet. The other began to uncurl the rope, and just as they were coming close, the stranger said, Pardon me, would you be so kind as to hold the other end of this rope? Surprised by the polite request, he agreed without a thought, and reached out and took the end of the rope. Thank you, said the other, whereupon he added, Two hands now, and remember, hold tight. Suddenly, the other jumped off the side of the bridge. Quickly, the free-falling body hurled the distance of the rope's length, and from the bridge, the man abruptly fell to the pole. Instinctively, he held tight to the rope and was almost dragged over the side. He managed to brace himself against the edge, however, and, after having caught his breath, he looked down at the other dangling close to oblivion below him. "'What are you trying to do?' he yelled. "'Just hold tight,' said the other. "'This is ridiculous,' the man said. He tried to haul the other in. He couldn't get enough leverage. It was as though the weight of this other person and the length of the rope had been carefully calculated in advance to be just beyond enough that he could pull the other back up to safety.' "'Why are you doing this?' the man called out. "'Remember,' said the other, "'if you let go, I will be lost.' "'But I can't pull you up!' the man cried. "'I am your responsibility,' said the other. "'Well, I, I didn't ask for this,' the man said. "'If you let go, I will be lost.' He began to look around for help, but there wasn't none. How long would he have to wait? Why was this befalling him just now?' just on the verge of his own true success. He examined the side of the bridge, looking perhaps for a place to tie the rope, some protrusion perhaps, or perhaps a hole in the board. But the railing was unusually uniform in shape, and there were no spaces between the boards. There was no way to get rid of this newfound burden, even for a moment. "'What do you want?' the man cried to the other hanging below. "'Just your help,' said the other. "'How can I help you?' I can't pull you in. There's no place to tie the rope, and I can't even go and get someone to help me get you. I know. Just hang on. That will be easy enough. Tie the rope around your waist. It will make it easier. Feeling that his arms could not hold out much longer, he tied the rope around his waist. Why do you do this? He asked again. Don't you see what you have done? What possible purpose could you have in mind? Just remember, said the other, my life is in your hands. What should he do? If I let go, all my life I will know that I let this other die. If I stay, I risk losing my own momentum towards my own long-sought-after salvation. Either way, this is going to haunt me forever. With ironic humor, he suddenly thought to die himself instantly, to jump off the bridge holding onto the rope. That would really fix this fool. But he wanted to live, and he wanted to live fully. What a choice I have to make, he thought to himself. However shall I decide? As time went by, no one drew near. The critical moment of decision was drawing close. To show his commitment to his own goals, he would have to continue on his journey now. It was almost too late to arrive in time anyway. What a terrible choice to have to make. And then, a new thought occurred to him. While he couldn't pull this other one up under his own efforts... If the other would shorten the rope by curling the rope again and again around his waist, together, they could do it. 
Or actually, the other could do it if he just stood fast on the bridge and held the rope. Now listen, he shouted down. I think I know a way to save you. And he explained his plan. But the other wasn't interested. You mean you won't help? He shrieked. But I told you I can't pull you in myself, and I don't think I can hang on much longer. You must try, the other shouted back in tears. If you fail, I die. The point of decision arrived. What should he do? My life or this other's? And then he had another idea. A revelation. A new idea so heretical, in fact, so alien to his traditional way of thinking. I want you to listen carefully to what I am about to say, he said, because I mean it. I will not accept the position of responsibility or choice for your life, only for my own. The position of choice for your life I hereby give back to you. What do you mean? the other asked, afraid. I mean, simply, it's up to you. You decide which way this ends. I will become the counterweight. You do the pulling and bring yourself back up, and I will even tug a little from up here. He began unwinding the rope from around his waist and braced himself anew against the side. You you can't mean what you say, the other man shrieked. You couldn't possibly be so selfish. I am your responsibility. Do not do this to me. He waited a moment. There was no change in the tension of the rope. I accept your choice, he said, and at last freed his hands, continuing his journey on the bridge. So I introed this story, or rather this episode, by saying this is a... Oh, by uh, talking down to me holding me tied dangling off the bridge and I entreat you to think that I am also the one holding the rope in this story but since I have let go of that own burden and I've begun learning who I am and learning and getting closer and closer to the goal I've set before me so it's good I know the last episode was a, a huge turning point for me because I started recording it I thought I would end all super sad and when I finished I realized I totally forgive myself or rather I totally have absolved myself of any any pressure or any feeling that I had done wrong to myself. And then in that way, I was able to let go of the burden that I was. Uh, thank you for listening again. Oh, let me find out who wrote this. It doesn't say. I got it from psychologyinterns.org. It might be written by Joe Court. I'm not positive. It is called The Man on a Bridge, a fable about breaking free of codependency. Guess what, guys? It's another happy episode. Alright, sit back, relax, enjoy. So this is both a bit of a recap for what's happened thus far in the series, and maybe a little bit of talking about all the precursor and why some of the stuff I've talked about has made such an impact on me. Okay, there's my boop, little thesis statement. Let's see. I already forgot what I said in the thesis statement. I, uh, recap. So, yeah, I started out episode one pretty messed up. Man, uh, I did a good job of, I hope, laying groundwork for what the rest of this would sound like, what everything would kind of turn out to be, and how all of the 
episodes would pan out. Of course, I had very little idea. I didn't even know I'd be coming up with a theme song, for example, uh, about what's what the episodes, what the whole series was going to look like. I hadn't even pitched it to the guys yet. But when episode two came out, I realized, all right, this is pretty real to me. I'm not in a good place. Uh, but every time I record, it seems to get better. And when I started episode three, I mentioned it last episode, but when I started episode three, man, I was so like, I wrote it at 3am one night just cause I couldn't sleep. And then I recorded it 3am the next night. Cause again, wasn't a huge fan of falling asleep. Cause I had a lot of frankly nightmares. I'm calling them nightmares, uh, because it was me dreaming of a world that caused me pain in real life to think about. Then there's the kind of nightmare where it's like, you're happy you wake up, but in that one, it's like, I would rather be there. That kind of nightmare made me feel bad about who, about living the actual day out. Wow, that's a tough thought. Uh, Oh, right, so that's what I had recorded, or that's what a lot of the script was talking about for episode three, but as it's titled The Turning Point, I think maybe six, seven minutes into recording this, it's it's quite literally as if a flip had switched in my mind. And oh my goodness, this it's not, it's not my fault. I'm not, I'm not a D head to myself. Like I can't believe that I, would, that I would be so such, that I had thought I was such a dickhead to myself. And I, I finally let go of all the burdens and all the pressure and like everything I had been feeling that I had to be and everything I felt I had done to myself and let go of in a sense who I was and and I didn't realize that's kind of how the episode had unfurled until I recorded last episode episode four letting go of the rope and going back to why that was so impactful to me and also um, just more about what that means in general the story is written not supposed it's it's not supposed to be you codepending with yourself deciding to spoiler let yourself drop off the bridge but that's what it had become to me today now the reason i've had that fable as it's titled in my mind already the reason i knew about it and even it was a very spur of the moment thing to realize oh my goodness i need my fans well, my fans, well, that sounds self-righteous. I need whoever's listening to this to hear it because because you will understand so much more about me and what brought me to the point where I'm at if you can understand this. And then I realized it also meant a lot to who I was in this moment if it was me holding and dangling off the bridge holding myself. So the reason that was so impactful for me let's see it goes sprawls all the way back to eighth grade man what a what a terrible year actually i'll start in seventh grade so seventh grade i had made a lot of friends like i i finally kind of recognized what it was like to be more social and having people like you and i'm like oh this is this is pretty cool right start of eighth grade i just snapped my finger nothing nothing at all like no contact for the first three quarters of the year. The I, I wouldn't really talk to anyone in school, or if it was, it wasn't very meaningful conversation. And, uh, well, I'd talk with the teacher, but I mean, that's not... That's so different, of course. Then, 
I had a girlfriend in eighth grade. She was not a very mentally stable girlfriend. She had, without giving uh, away too much of her story, she had spent some time in a, I'm going to say, therapy. And for uh, very sad thoughts about herself. Uh, And it was one night, I, I knew that she had previously, and even somewhat while we were dating, been experiencing, you know, super a bit depressed thoughts and previously she had had suicidal thoughts and one Tuesday night I remember it was a Tuesday at like 5 p.m. I felt a little bit tired I laid down on the couch took a nap two hours go by two stinking hours and I wake up 7 p.m. a text from one of her depressed friends saying actually many missed texts I got the ones from her friend first and he said like dude you need to wake up like she really like he didn't say wake up he didn't know I was sleeping he said dude like I don't know where you are but she really needs you right now and I'm I'm kind of like wait 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 what so I keep going through my texts trying to find hers and it wasn't until I mean a, a little bit of searching I wasn't very popular like I said eighth grade no one really liked me in school so it was just whoever I could find outside of school anyways I find her texts and I kid you not it's a goodbye message like it's she in those two hours that I had decided to take a nap she had decided all right this is going to be the end for me and she wrote me her final goodbyes that's a lot for of course I'm that is so much for her like that's a lot to handle at her age but I was not expecting this I had just taken a nap and because of the unexpectedness because I felt like everyone at school not liking me was my fault then I took this as my fault as well and I internalized all of it and okay sorry I should I just kind of held you on, on <laughs> held you on the end of a rope for a second there um, she is fine today she's not depressed she loves Jesus she um did not successfully complete the task she had set out to do but nonetheless it was something that I took very seriously frankly it's it's a burden that I carried for obviously much too long at all as much too long because it wasn't it wasn't my fault it's I mean I took a nap that's not you know sue me um but one reason that also stuck with me is because I found out maybe a year later that a different that a a best friend I had at the time was also at, well we had been best friends for quite some time and at one point she decided that um she also did not have anything to live for so she wrote a note to the one person she knew still cared about her which was not me I can't say how that impacted me. Um, and then she also did not complete the mission, which I thank the Lord for all the freaking time. But it was a, it was a lot for me to handle um, because those two instances, sure, apart are, are big on their own, but then together I took uh, very personally, personally, and I thought that I needed to be doing a better job of kind of losing to myself and giving to others and 
which in and of itself is not a bad thing, but the motive behind it was not proper and it was not fruitful. Um, I'm looking at the time and man, I'd love to tell you how I got out of that, but I'll have to save it for next episode because this has taken longer than I thought it would. Uh, thanks for listening. Hop right back. This is going to release week after week. So next week there's going to be another episode. You're going to hear about how I was able to let go of that grief. What? Another happy episode? Where does it end with you people? Alright, so I left you guys on kind of a, you know, interesting place last week because I told you about something that had been building up to me holding a lot of pressure on myself, but I was just ready to tell you the turning point and I wasn't able to, wasn't able to deliver it, so that was, that was tough. Um, but as I mentioned, quick little recap. It was in eighth grade that all of the, uh, everything kind of sunk in. Two very close people to me when I was dating, when I was not, uh, tried to end their own lives. And I took it very personally because I was pretty much the, the people they had been depending on at the time for their happiness and their, uh, entertainment also. So that took a big toll on me starting in eighth grade. And I was able to kind of stuff those thoughts inside um, and eventually in the latter end of 8th grade, people in my class began talking to me once more and and I uh, kind of became a jokester. I have a lot of good jokes and it's because I want to spread people's joy and let people know that they have more to live for, uh, that that God wants us to be happy god enjoys humor himself so all of those things but uh that didn't deal with the fact that i still felt that i had done so much here like i was the purpose behind their not not the long set depression because they had those before i was the the close person to them but the enacting of trying to kill themselves that was something that i really really struggled with uh, until, man, I guess it, so there were a few highlight moments where I like got over it a little bit, right? One of which I was, um, in a room in Texas where, uh, I was talking with some people I was very close with crying about how, look, I really feel pressured. Like I've done something terrible. And they said, Oh no, it wasn't, it wasn't your fault. And I said, look, my girlfriend isn't the only, isn't even the only person who I blame myself for and then that kind of ended the conversation because they didn't know how to fight that as well (laughs) but then when oh I also uh I also forgot to mention that I broke up with that girlfriend um as soon as I figured out she was safe and all of that just because it was because I figured I was the root problem of a lot she was experiencing so I thought it'd be best in her interest if I broke up with her very tough but as i said she's very she's very good now very happy and that's that's good uh okay so so yeah little highlight moments where i would like get over a little bit just because i could talk about it to other people but then it wasn't until my senior year of high school so that's that's a full four years that uh, i had been kind of just carrying this it wasn't until my senior year that i managed to I had this big 
bombshell of a realization that I am not responsible for other people making their decisions. But I have, I am able to help as much as I want, but in, in the end, I cannot change their decision. And that was huge for me. And it was because my, my rhetoric teacher in my senior year of high school had said, all right, like for this period, all I'm going to do is I'm going to read you this parable or I'm going to read you this fable and you're going to, we're going to talk about it afterward. And it was that codependency fable that I had read uh, on this podcast, golly, two episodes now. I'm kind of cranking these episodes out. This is episode six, by the way. Uh, right. So he's reading the codependency fable and, and as I, when the main character in the fable has the turning realization, I'm not responsible for his choices. Then all of a sudden I'm like, my heart's pounding faster and I feel light because I realized, oh my goodness. And I hadn't been thinking every day, oh, what, what a terrible person I am. Or I hadn't been like in the, in the scenario, I hadn't, uh, in that moment even thought, wow, now I can free myself of that burden that I've picked up from them. No, no, no. But it was still this, it, even subconscious, but maybe conscious to a degree, realization, I am not to blame in that scenario. Like, me doing the best I can is going to help them, but I am not responsible for their choice for their own life. And though the fable is meant to be uh, a codependency fable is supposed to be about how relationships in general should work. Uh, in the moment, I was really just looking at it like, oh my goodness, I have been so caught up in who and what it, what I have done to these people when it's just those people doing those things. And it seems like such an obvious realization to look at, but... I was so caught up with, I want to serve people. I want people to, to like, I want to be selfless of myself. I want people to be happy um, that I had kind of blurred the lines between my decisions for them and their decisions for them because I so badly wanted everything in me to aid everything in them as much as I could. Then it wasn't until that parable was read in class that in uh, of all my class graduating class of 11 not very many people not very many students two of us well everyone's like that's such a terrible story i can't believe that person just dropped the rope <laughs> but then i'm looking over at sophie and sophie's looking at me and we're both like that is the most incredible and both of us were reminiscent of the trope like i wish i had known this earlier like here, if I had heard this story earlier, I would have burdened myself so much, such less. And hers was not as literal as someone trying to kill themselves, as as is in the parable. But it was, it's still such a good, good memory, good rule to keep in in mind that I am not supposed to burden myself with other people's decisions, with other people's choices, and that was just everything I needed in that in that day and it helped me throughout the rest of my life thus far to just enable to be who I am today and the reason I read it again is because I had another realization yet that I was holding myself hostage 
trying to appease myself, trying to appease, uh, I have to come up with a new name for her, Janet, my ex-girlfriend that I began the podcast for, Janet, um, that we had started, that I was so bent, bent over to do everything I could for her, which I do believe is the basis for love is like wanting to make the other person happy in every moment they have. But it, but the degree to which I was ruining myself was such that it was not leaving room for me to take care of who I am in order to keep her happy. And the reason I did that is because I went into the relationship expecting to be, um, falsely expecting, but not unfairly expecting that she would be more aware of my emotions, more capable of main, like, um, meeting the feelings that I needed in the relationship. And now that I have the realization, it's not a guarantee that the person's going to meet my feelings or my expectations. I can go into my next relationship ready to still fully serve, but to a degree to which I let her decisions be her decisions and my decisions uh, be mine. And I'm able to like bring her as much happiness as I can, but while still not guarding my heart, but protecting my heart so that I can also protect hers. So that is where I'm currently at. I have fully forgiven myself and I have 50% forgiven Janet. So I gotta say, I wish it was more than six episodes, but we're definitely coming to a close on the series. This isn't the last one. Don't fret. There will be more, but we're getting close. I just gotta warn you guys. Three months later and the story is completely different. Hello, welcome to another episode of A Comrade's Journal. I am happy this episode. I have been happy in so many episodes. I did not expect that. Uh, Welcome to episode 7. And I'm technically saying that this is the final episode. Aw, can we get some some tears? A little sad crowd effect in the... Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your support. I appreciate everyone listening to this podcast. You guys have been blowing it up. The socials have been awesome, too. And it's... It was crazy to me to see how how much people wanted to know my thoughts because this podcast really is just me, all my deep thoughts, putting it right in front of a microphone, not even caring what anyone's going to think, and then releasing it anyways. Yeah, and it was never... I never expected to get over Janet in three episodes, uh, but just like that, three episodes was all it took, and here I am on episode seven focusing more on how different everything is. I'm recording this one much later because, you know, it's, well, okay, it's in January. Everything that we're talking about happened back in September. And I'm recording right now in January, like a day before it's being released because some crazy stuff has happened. And if you've been following me on social media, if you've been following the sister podcast, the College Comrades TCC, then you know I'm engaged. I actually have a guest right here in the studio with me. You want to say hello, baby? Hi. This is my wonderful fiance, Maddie. I am so blessed to have her. She's here with me listening to the podcast because the episodes have been, there have been good episodes and there have been bad episodes and she's stuck with me through it all. And uh, if it weren't for recording the podcast, I, I don't think I would have been ready for her. So being able to listen to my thoughts 
after the fact now and seeing how I was in a really bad place, but now I'm in an amazing friggin' sunshine, walking on gold road, rainbow road, Mario Kart, top 10. Sorry, I got off track there. I'm doing amazing now. It's it's so great, and I am so blessed. I'm so happy, and thank you everyone for sticking with me and wanting to find out my journey through getting over Janet, is her name this episode. And uh, without further ado, let's talk about the rest of the story. So basically, after getting over her, I realized that uh, I don't have to just be... I don't have to keep beating myself up. I don't have to keep taking the blame for everything to keep feeling like I need to be single. I don't because I knew Maddie existed. Let me tell you, I knew her in August and she was the girl who I didn't want to talk to because she was so attractive. So now that I am with the literal woman of my dreams, it blows my mind how on the first date we said we loved each other and how after one month we got engaged and now we're getting married shortly here in early February. So, and everyone has been super supportive on social media too, which we did not certainly expect. Uh, but it's such a blessing that everyone has been, yeah, you guys should get married. You're going to be great together. And everyone can see that we're just perfect for each other. Cause you know what? We flip it are. You think we're perfect for each other, baby? Yes, I do. <laughs> yep. And good golly. I love you. Do you love me, baby? I love you so much. Oh, thank you. Love bug. Uh, okay, so without further ado, let's do a quick introspective of the series as a whole, because I had the idea of doing a solo podcast in my mind for a while, and then when our sister podcast, The College Comrades, wanted to pop off a bit more, uh, we thought, well, it'd be pretty great if this was sponsored by The College Comrades, and it is, of course, sponsored by The College Comrades, presented by The College Comrades. Shout out to my producers, um, my producer Land Daddy. Thank you. But also, when I really didn't need it, I had no idea how much I needed to sit in front of a microphone because I've been doing the podcast for over a year, almost a year and a half actually. And the fact that, like, when we take breaks from the podcast and there's no microphone in front of me. I can tell the difference that sometimes I'll be a little bit more moody and and sometimes I'll be a little bit more grouchy. It doesn't make sense how much I need to be in front of a microphone because my personality is not like I want to talk to people or in front of people. But some reason with the microphone in front of me, everything in my head kind of gets vented out and cleared up. And that's why I knew when the breakup started, I needed to get over her. I needed to get over her fast because I knew in my heart I was preparing myself for my wife. And I had to, the easiest way for me to get over it was just start recording myself. And I did not expect it to be as quick as it was. I know I've said that a lot. Sorry for being a broken record. But listening back to everything, I realized how I was pretty on point with pretty much everything I said, how I didn't realize it was a bad relationship until I was out of it. And till I got into a good relationship, especially, I didn't realize how difficult it was being with Janet. And then it also helped me keep in mind all the bad habits that I tend to create for myself and all the bad habits I tend to bring into any relationship, whether it's just friends or even with my fiance. But I, it's, I'm so glad I have all of that down somewhere, all of that just 
recorded so I can listen. And if I ever need to remember how amazing of a relationship I have, I can remember how terrible a relationship I had too. Uh, and there is nothing that would ever take me away from my current bride. So thank goodness. Thank the Lord for being so amazing to me and bringing me through the hardships so that it can bring me through the, the, the beauty as well. Uh, now, I know the series is wrapping to a close. This may be my last bow. Uh, but as every good book or journal or novel has, there is going to be an epilogue. It's already been recorded. It just has to be uh, screened and edited a bit. It, it's a more focused on helping other people, whereas the most of the podcast was me helping myself. And now this is going to be, well, finally, as an epilogue, let's talk about the stuff I didn't deal with that other people really need to hear. And uh, that one is a guest episode also. It's a guest with one of the co-hosts on The College Comrades. You'll see who it is when you get there. Now, if you haven't listened to The College Comrades, you gotta listen to it. Because it's it's me the same, but not depressed. It's me, but it's not angry. And I'm funny. And the other guys are funny. Sometimes we talk serious, and sometimes we talk silly. But if you want to hear more of me, if you want to hear more of them... That's where to go. That's where it's happening. And also, there's not much left of this whole series in general. I highly do not expect there's going to be a Comrades Journal Part 2. But if you guys do end up wanting a different part of... A different thing for me to talk about. Because I only have one epilogue episode. And it's about social anxiety. But if there's something else you guys want me to talk about, I know a lot of people. I can interview a lot of people. So if you do want to hear more about how people have gotten over being physically abused, being sexually abused, how people have gotten over uh, close friends killing themselves or, or anything, like this is a podcast where I can finally talk about the tough things. I can finally get over what no one is willing to bring out in the open and talk about what everyone needs to hear. So... If you really need some of that, there's no page for a Comrades Journal, but you need to go to the Facebook page of The College Comrades or the Instagram of The College Comrades and then hit us up there because that's where we're paying attention, especially Facebook. We're most popular on Facebook, uh, but that's where I will know, okay, wait, they want to hear about something else that's important because right now I only have the social anxiety one. If you need something else, let me know. I want to get it out to you. Because you guys are what I really care about. I won't put any names out there. It'll be completely anonymous. You can, you could direct message the page owner so that way you don't even have your name on Facebook if you want to hear about it. So, uh, anyways, that's all. Welcome to episode 8 of A Comrade's Journal. As I promised you last week, this episode is going to be a guest episode. So, with us today, I have co-host of the TCC... Noah Purcell. Hello. Claps in the audience. Woo, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for having me on. I have no idea what I'm walking into. That's totally fine. Uh, as you know, I've started, I started this podcast to kind of be helpful to me in getting over a relationship. Right. But as it evolved and morphed, I found that it'd be more useful to transition into just helping other people in general as mm-hmm. they listen to basically my thoughts. Right. Now... I have been historically just free of anxiety. Uh And I wish that was something I'd be able to help people with on, like, my listeners. But I know that you are 
someone who I would say has gotten over a huge obstacle of anxiety, or at least for the most part? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This isn't necessarily something that I have necessarily put a time stamp on. And I don't feel like that's, what is the word I'm looking for? Don't, don't worry about it. I will, I'll, I'll kind of direct this conversation okay. as it grows. All right. Okay. So I'm going to launch us into the past, into you a can time. can cut whatever, by the way. I know I can cut. This is my show. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember, man, I must have been 15. I think you were 16 years old. Uh, you show up in my house. It was a rainy night. Thinking, all right, this is this is gonna be a blast, you know, because we're it's rain. What do we do? We're looking for puddles. Yeah. And and there it is, the mammoth of all puddles. Oh yeah. And and we we are thinking, okay, this is gonna be pretty wild. Let's just just drive through it. See what see what's in this puddle. Yeah. Uh, which was a bad idea in hindsight, but as we went through it, we the, the car was shooketh. We kind of tossed about. I might have touched you in a place or two. And when <laughs> when we came out the other side, I look over and I see I got this. You see, you have this look on your face. I said, "You want to do it again, don't you?" Yeah. <laughs> you look at me. Oh yeah, I do. So we go through it again, and this time we pop a tire, and we learned how to change tires in the rain. Oh yeah. Now. I bring this up both so that the audience would get to know you a little bit better uh-huh. and our history, but also because that wasn't something that was hugely, you didn't have a lot of anxiety over, wow, my tires popped. Right. So it, and this is how I kind of want to ask for myself of you. So the anxiety isn't like something bad just happened or how am I going to deal with this, but it's more about. I don't know. I, I want to know what yeah, the anxiety yeah, yeah. was like for you at that time because we were we were just in high school. You hadn't quite started running start. Right. Somewhere, I've never verbalized this. Somewhere in my somewhere in my life, I didn't believe that anxiety was a real thing because I never experienced it. And then one day. For whatever reason, and I don't think that there was an experience like you have presented mm-hmm. that triggered something. Uh, I'm also not in counseling, so I'm sure if I went to counseling, <laughs> I could figure it out. Right. But to my knowledge, there's there was never an experience where anxiety, the anxiety light got flipped on. It was one day I realized that... At, at the dinner table with other people, I can't eat. And if I eat, I'm going to throw up everywhere. And there's this tightness in my chest. And it feels like the whole world is collapsing around me. And I can't breathe. And now I need to get up from the table because I feel like I'm going to throw up. And now I'm sweating in the bathroom trying to go to the bath, trying to poop, trying to pee. And now I'm like over the toilet with my face in the toilet feeling like I'm going to throw up, but I haven't eaten anything all day because I've had this feeling all day. And so now I'm dry heaving. And now I'm thinking about what other people are thinking about me at the dinner table. Why am I taking so long? And it just spiraled. So I don't think that there was an experience that started all that. However, from that, what I just said I do know that it came from 
a place of people, me wanting people's acceptance. Hmm. More specifically, me wanting to be valued by other people. Um, Me wanting to not feel like a failure. And so that's where anxiety definitely starts to ramp up is when I'm in a new setting um, where I don't know what people will think of me. Um, And that's not to say that it doesn't happen when I'm in a setting with like people that I really know, like it will, it'll, it can happen at any point where for whatever reason, I just get super anxious about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that to this day? Yes, that is to this day. Okay. Like a good example is like when I first started hanging around my wife's parents, like I had to eat like I had to eat salads. And even then those would make me want to throw up or make me go in the bathroom and dry heave because I, for whatever reason, had put so much weight on what her parents thought of me, which, you know, for some people that that's, you know, it's a big parent. That's a big thing. That's my wife's parents, you know? Mm -hmm. And as I've hung around them more, I'll be able to look at my wife and be like, wow, I was able to eat that meal. And we celebrate that. Um, but there's still to this day is times when I'm like, I I couldn't, there's no way. Um, and same goes for like my friends that I have now, like, my closest friends, sometimes I find myself in that situation. Uh, now you said that it stems or you think you believe it stems from a deep root of wanting people to accept you. Yes. Now you've had my acceptance for God knows how long. Right. And I remember just, I don't know, maybe six months after the puddle story, I said when I was 16 and I was driving to your house and back home, you would, I, I remember I got home one time as I rolled into my driveway, mm-hmm. I got a text from you. It said, are you home? Are you okay? Yeah. Are you safe? And, and that was probably the night I realized just how encompassing the anxiety in your life was. Yeah. So, and, and amongst the, other things that had probably happened in that six month span. Right. My question to you is, does that, uh, deep root of wanting people to accept you tie in is is that the same anxiety as it did kai make it home safe did kai get in a car crash on the way home it's a good question because i worry about this like you know if my wife isn't home like Mm -hmm. i can feel it settling in i think it is a different feeling right i've never explored that question it feels it feels different obviously because i don't want to throw up or anything Mm mm-hmm uh, but I've also learned how to manage it, I think, better than the time period that you're referencing. Yeah. I I think it is different, but I couldn't tell you why or how. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember distinctly, it was almost a day and night switch of you being able to handle it, was when the tattoo you got of the lion and a clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you remember explaining to me the significance of that tattoo for you? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so. I could probably give you like an overview. <laughs> I remember it but very it's, distinctly. It's extremely layered, much yeah. more layered than, I mean, there's, I've written a lot about the meaning that my tattoo has behind it. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more depth to it than people would know. Yeah. 
And especially more than I just tell them when they go, oh, what does that mean? So <laughs> Right. So, like, well, let's... I'm not going to say anything about Lighthouse, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. But uh, just the fact that God is your lion, and he's painted onto the clock, which re- theoretically represents time in your yes. life. You used to worry a lot about what the future would hold, what you're going to do for college, yeah. what kind of job you're going to get. And then you, as almost a prophetic statement, just said, I'm done worrying about all this. I'm just going to start trusting God. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say that alone. Just saying I'm going to start trusting God is going to be all you need to help you with anxiety. But how would you want to, like, if your kids are going to say, like, Dad, I'm just really struggling with Mm -hmm. this idea. And it's, it's not like a situational thing. It's just an anxiety moment. It's just a general feeling. Yeah. Then how would you tell them both? I still struggle with anxiety. It's yeah. just that my muscles have gotten a lot stronger in dealing with it. How would you tell them that it gets better? How would you tell them how it can get better? Yeah. Wow. Um, I know it's a deep question, so I'm not no, expecting an all of a sudden answer. <laughs> and I've, I've thought about this before too. Um, it's just I look at you today and think about who you were back then, and it's radically different. Yeah. So it, it surprised me even to find out that you still deal with anxiety, and I'm just now realizing how it's not something that just goes away. Right. Um, I think it's a space where some days are better than others, and you do have to just power through it, whatever that looks like, whatever your coping mechanisms are. Um. If we, so I'll go, can I go down two routes here to explain this? If we wanted to go to a religious route, um, there are notable people in the Bible that drink wine to calm nerves. And I think that that holds weight to it as well as some sort of ultimate creator Mm -hmm. being in charge and you not being in charge. I think there's comfort in that and answers in that. I think there's also answers in a non-biblical route of like, this is life. We're just going to power through it. Um, And at the end of the day, like, does it matter what other people think of me? Is my, my worth in what other people think of me? Um, And maybe you could combine the two. I don't, I don't, I don't know what a solve is like, I'm, cause I'm still, I feel like a baby when it comes to this. I'm still like figuring it out. Mm-hmm. I feel like you've actually, what you've said would come from me. Not, not to say that you'll get to a point where anxiety doesn't exist. Like it's right. not that simple. I've, now that I think about it some more in the, in the sense of like sitting with my wife's parents at meals, um, talking is a something that I am good at and I feel confident in, which is some would call counterproductive or they just don't mesh well. Like I'm afraid of people and what they would think of me and not accepting me, but I'm very good leading and teaching up in front of people. And so if I start doing and talking and leading and teaching in front of people, then I start to feel better when it's an in-the-moment anxiety. 
and then anxiety may hit afterwards. Mm. But what I have found is very helpful is to just talk at like family dinners, like find my way in, talk a bunch. And because there's, there's like a physical route of anxiety where just talking and doing something relieves all of this pressure, even working out, just all of this pressure is like physical pressure on the body, physical things that you feel on the body just go away. And I think for me talking and just like being up front really works for me. I'll talk about my job, job, talk about my interests, things of that nature. Whereas the mental things, I think you just have to convince yourself at some point, like at the end of this dinner where I'm so stressed out about my, about what people think of me, I'm not going anywhere. Like my wife and I aren't getting a divorce. Like these people have to stay around me. They're adults. They know that people change. So if I was awkward at that dinner, then maybe the next dinner will be fine. It's not like they're not going to invite me to dinner because I said something weird or went to the bathroom four or five times. Like it, it just is. And so that's why I, my current solve is for the mental aspect of anxiety is you just power through it. And at the end of this episode, you'll be okay. And obviously I've never gotten to the point of not being okay. I know people that have, you know, had to been, had to have been hospitalized and thankfully I've never been in that position, but yeah, that is an aspect as well. So if I were to summarize your advice, uh, I would do it in three points and correct me if you think any of these are wrong, but, uh, first, the more you step into or, or away from the anxiety, the better, the easier it is to step away from the anxiety. So like the more loose, the more, the more that you step into a place that you're comfortable. Okay. And, and I don't want that to be an easy out because some people would just say, okay, leave the dinner and go home, go home to a quiet space. I don't think that's practical. Right. It is a solve, but I don't think it's a healthy solve. So step, yeah. so like I had mentioned, like step into talking about something that you're passionate about, something that you're knowledgeable about, mm-hmm. talk about work, talk about something you found funny for the day. I think that's a good solve. And moving off of that, the the second point would be you don't want to wait for it to start raining before building a roof. Right. Because if assuming you've had anxiety attacks before mm-hmm. you can probably predict i'm gonna struggle with this yeah but as long as i'm okay right now i can come up with things to talk about i can come up with questions to ask them yeah. i can try to find ways to steer conversation back to my comfort zone right now while i can't think about it rather than in there when it's going to be difficult yeah definitely and the third point i guess would just be it's not gonna go away but it is going to get easier to control. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, there's people that have been put in the hospital. Right. And there's, I mean, there's episodes that I have where I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why my body is doing this. I don't know why my headspace is going like this. I guess cope would be a better word than control. Okay. Um, But even then, I guess you could say that they mean the same thing. Hmm. So... What were the first two that we had come up with? The second was don't you can you can plan for it. Mm-hmm. 
plan for it in a sense of like know your triggers, know your signs, mm-hmm. manipulate situations in a good way, yeah, in a healthy way. Yeah. Well, the first was step into your comfort zone so that you can, or like once it's hardest at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first point is it's hardest at the beginning, and it gets easier as it gets easier. And those are just for me. Right. Everybody experiences it completely different, has different triggers. Mm-hmm. Third, don't be afraid to see a therapist. Yeah, With definitely. This, this here, this is not therapy. No, by no means. <laughs> I'm not a therapist. You are not a therapist. Right. We're just talking about our own problems and how we get over them. Yeah. But you, everyone and, can benefit from a therapist. Yeah, and for that therapist, you need somebody that... Good therapy is something that is prompted by another person, but you come to the conclusion yourself. Once you come to that conclusion, the therapist hopefully has already known that conclusion that you've already come to and then can say, okay, here's some action steps so we can continue working on this. Because if you sit there and tell me exactly what to do, then I'm not going to do that or retain that or learn anything until I've figured it out on my own. And that's just for me. If some other people might operate differently, but that's what I've heard about therapy is you need a therapist that can get you to the point of discovering something yourself. Do you have anything else to say before I sign off to the audience? I don't think so. I think it just varies for each person. Mm-hmm. Um, and then those points that we come up, came up with reflect me and my experience and hopefully somebody else. There you go. Thank you all for listening. All right, bye-bye.